All right, welcome to our third episode of And That's My Story, Careers in Transition. I'm your host, Dan Castle, and I want to thank all of you for your continued support and the love you've been showing the podcast. I'm excited to bring you more. If you are new to the program, my goal is to help people tell their stories of important transitional moments in their careers. I like to think we all have stories inside of us and that these stories are helpful to others. I'm after smile moments or significant moments in life's experience. Whose life? Well, today it will be Will Ramey, and I'll introduce him shortly, but it's also yours. What experiences? I'm interested in moments and the transitional points in your career. I believe we all have things we can learn from one another, and so I've put together this little podcast to help others explore those moments in their careers. Helping others is what this program is all about. I'm Dan Castle, and that's my story. Let's meet today's guest. Raised in the Steel Valley of Northeast Ohio, Will Ramey joined the U.S. Army when he was 17. Will had a sense of duty to serve and was looking for fun, travel, and adventure. He had an eye-opening 10-year career in uniform, serving as a military policeman, logistics officer, and space operations officer, deploying to Iraq, serving all across our country, and leading a variety of teams. He has worked in the commercial sector, been an adjunct professor at Wilkes University, and currently serves as a Department of Army civilian. Will is beginning to enter into entrepreneurship as a leadership development coach and trainer, a speaker, and an author. His 22 years in leadership positions have been a thorough experiential education in influence, perspective, and lifelong learning, and I'm looking forward to getting into it today with Will. Will Ramey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. I'm happy to be here. I tell you what, that, that intro, that is my story. You have that summed up so well. Uh, I appreciate the introduction. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, you know, this is this is our third episode, Will. And as we were talking a little bit before we hit record, you know, I'm excited about the type of, of uh, things we've been talking about on the program. You've got a lot of background, a lot of diverse experience, and I'm definitely looking forward to, to getting into a little bit more details behind your story. So for those of you who are familiar with our program, you know, we do this quick lightning round, a little bit of fun, lighthearted questions just to kind of warm up, and then we'll get into the, the meat of the, the conversation today. So, Will, first question for you. Uh, if you're studying or doing something that's important, do you keep kind of background music going on or do you like to work in silence? I play Hans Zimmer soundtrack in the background. You know, and I'm hearing his uh, Inception and Gladiator and, and all those, those songs that come up. I find that, uh, you know, it helps me kind of you know, focus in and have and have those uh, those thoughts there. So definitely have a little bit of uh, white noise, you know, Hans Zimmer or uh, Beethoven playing in the background. Nice. Very nice. All right. Uh, if you're watching a movie, what genre is it most likely to be? Are you a comedy guy, a drama guy, a horror guy? If I'm watching a movie, it's a it's an action flick or it's a, uh, you know, military uh, type documentary type movie. Um, however, I'm watching that with my wife. It's a romantic comedy or something of that nature. Yeah, you got to go rom-com. You can't go <laughs> wrong there. Uh, I know from your introduction, Will, that you've uh, you've served quite a number of years, and thank you, by the way, for that service to our country. Sounds like you've lived uh, in quite a bunch of places across the country as well. How many states have you been to, and what's one that's maybe still on your your to do list for visiting this nation of ours? Yeah, so I've lived I've lived in seven states uh, with the, the time I've spent with my wife and family together. Uh, favorite was absolutely Colorado. Beautiful, wide open spaces, three hundred days of sunshine outdoor activity, things to go see and do. Um, we were out in California, but I was stationed in the desert. So my my view of what California is versus what you see on TV and the movies is, is, is not the same. Yeah, I'd like to go back and, and see more of Northern California, you know, up the coast, uh, you know, and uh, explore wine country out there. It's funny you say that. So I've been traveling for years with my childhood best friends, all in the name of baseball, trying to get to 30 Major League Baseball stadiums. I've been to 27 of them, but there's three left. And two of them happen to be in California. So it's funny that you mentioned uh, California as the place that you're uh, you're looking forward to getting back to. Um, all right. What's the we've all spent a considerable amount of time sort of in lockdown with COVID and the pandemic. What's the last show that you binge watched on Netflix or Hulu or something like that? We've watched the Great British Baking Show uh, all seasons, front to back. Paul Hollywood, Mary Berry, uh, Prue. You know, we we know it's like they're family members, and you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, we're uh, we're taking some of those recipes and turning them around in the kitchen too. So the kids and and, and Kelly and I were all having fun watching that. That's excellent. I haven't seen that one. Uh, we just finished uh, The Handmaid's Tale here in the Castle House, and uh, I will definitely put The Great British Baking Show on my list. All right, Will, you're taking the kids out uh, for ice cream. You're, it's your turn to order. What flavor is most likely to be the one that you got, and are you going uh, cup or cone? 
Oh, I'm definitely going waffle cone as big as you can, uh, butter pecan with you know caramel sauce on top. That sounds like a treat. Uh, all right, last one before we get a little more focused on, on our subject for today. So it's dinner time at the Ramey house. Are you rather? Would you rather be the guy cooking or the one cleaning up? Cooking, cooking. I make a mess and <laughs> dishes and loading the dish dishwasher. Oh, it's not my my thing. My wife's gonna laugh when she hears this. Well, that's okay. You know, we're here to tell the truth and uh, uncover some of the mysteries if there are. All right. Get a, little, get a little more zeroed in on the on our topic of careers. So of all the different career assignments you've had, which would you like to do over again, knowing what you know now? Out of all the different career assignments, I would love to be a platoon leader again. Um, first line leadership where the rubber meets the road. And that opportunity to soak up and learn from your soldiers and your NCOs, there is so much more to uh, to do. When I, I think back, and my most, you know, some of the most influential people in my life were, were the first set of non-commissioned officers I had. Uh, you know, when I was a private in the army, and then when I was again when I was a lieutenant. But that first line leadership um, is invaluable because I think it helps you spring yourself into uh, you know different different career. Um, positions and different leadership positions. If I had to do it over again, I'd love to do that over again because you're expected to learn, you're expected to make mistakes, and you have so many people there that are around you wanting to help you succeed. Excellent. Uh, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Be willing to learn and take the hard assignments. And that was something that I've been told you know, early on in my career is – Explore opportunities, take hard assignments, and learn the most that you can from them. Um, and I think that does help, um, you know, diversify yourself along the way. And then the, the last piece to that, you know, that learning piece is, you know, bridge your experience with education. You know, you make a strong foundation when you when you gain uh, experience in position, but then when you balance that out with uh, education from either academics or uh, certifications, professional certifications, uh, or even just, uh, you know, leadership or, or other type courses that you can take. Okay. Um, so, Will, when you think about the various roles you've had in different teams, what's the one thing people can always count on you to contribute? I think that positive influence. So, when I, I look at uh, what's interesting I, I've had, Dan, is I've led teams where I've never done the job of the person I'm leading. I've led teams that have dealt with satellite communication equipment. I've led teams in, in warehouse and distribution. I've led teams that, you know, maintain Humvees. And I go in with the understanding of they know more about their job than me. I'll never know as much as them. But what I do contribute to that team is bringing those people together, tying them to a purpose, giving them a, a, a meaning, showing genuine concern, and that positive influence of here's what we're here to do and why we're here to do it. Let's get after it with, with the most energy and the best way possible is what people can, can continuously count on me to contribute. Excellent. And I think purpose is, uh, is one of the most important parts of any, any human being, let alone leader or follower. So if you're, if you're contributing that positive influence, well, what's the one thing you need from the people that you work with? What do they need to bring to the table with you if they're going to be part of your team? Uh, transparency. So when I say transparency, I mean open, honest communication. Hey, we made a mistake. Hey, we want to try something new. Hey, what we're doing is not working. You know, so those those team members, I you know, hopefully will feel comfortable with with me enough where I can create that environment to where we have that. It's okay to fail, fail fast, learn and 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 move through it, and let's do the best that we can together. So yeah, to have that. That transparency needs to be there. People need to feel comfortable enough talking and, and communicating and being authentic. Um, and, and that's where I think teams really come together and gel. Okay. Uh, you talk a lot about influence and you talk about your desire to help influence others. Is there someone who's been a tremendous influence in, in your career that you think about as a leader that maybe you want to aspire to be or, or whose, whose attributes you want to emulate in your own style? Yeah, you know, there's there's a ton of people that have provided influence. I, I think, uh, you know, through different stages of, of my life and my career, what I've seen is different people influence me uh, because I, I'm, I'm open to that. You know, early on, my dad and my mom, huge influence with work ethic and how to approach life. And my dad, you know, used to tell us there's two things you don't tell a Ramey, can't and won't, because you can and you will, you know, if, if you put your mind to it. Uh, and then, you know, early on in the Army, my, my NCOs were there. 
um, teaching me how to be a soldier and, and how to stand up and, and how to protect and serve. And then, you know, as I transitioned through, throughout my career, I've had good leaders. I've had leaders I've learned from. I've had leaders that I've learned what not to do from as well. And then, uh, you know, recently here, uh, working with the, the executive DBA course at Drexel, you know, I am open to influence from, you know, Lauren Denisenzo and Rajiv Nag, those two uh, faculty members there that have really opened my eyes to what's in the realm of possible and things I didn't think I could do before they were able to help me through. So if, if you open yourself up to, uh, you know, being better and continuously improving yourself, I think you'll find sources of influence in the people around you, um, you know, every day. A great, great, uh, great response. We tell our kids in our house that uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Right. So you might as well be on the better side of that. That's right. right. So we'll get to the last part here before we take a quick break. Uh, First word, Will, that comes to mind when you think of the letter C. Can. All right. How about the letter O? Overcome. Letter A? Always. Another C for you. Contribute. And finally, the letter H. Helpful. All right. And that spells coach, which is exactly where I believe you want your career to go from an entrepreneurial perspective. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Uh, Not sure we'll talk too much more about Butter Pecan or the Great British Baking Show, but we've got lots on leadership and influence coming right up. So hang out with us for just one minute. All right. Welcome back. We're talking today with Will Ramey. We've just gone through the ever so fun lightning round. If you missed it, you missed a good call out for butter pecan and waffle cones, but I'll have to uh, refer you to the replay if you want to pick that up again. All right. So, Will, um, you've got a diverse background of, per- of personal, professional and educational experiences. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing at the present, both professionally at Tobihana as well as in the entrepreneurial world that you're starting to undertake? Sure. So I, I'm a Department of Army civilian. Um, so federal employee, I work at Toby Hanna Army Depot and, and currently I'm the garrison manager there. So it would be an equivalent to city management um, type functions. We have you know, three different diverse functions. We're responsible for making sure that the base is uh, open for business, safe and secure. We do everything from law enforcement, uh, fire and emergency services, security operations, to roads and grounds maintenance, facilities maintenance, uh, public works projects. Um, so, you know, restoration, modernization, construction projects. Uh, we, we operate our own uh, wastewater treatment plant and facility. And, you know, we have our own, it's called Morale Welfare Recreation. So we have a child development center. Uh, we have a, uh, you know, three cafeterias that we, we open and operate uh, to feed our workforce. We operate a gym. Uh, we have outdoor rental equipment, and you know we also have on our installation, uh, you know, 28 um, Army family houses that we are uh, charged with making sure that they are, you know, facilitated and maintained, and and people call our installation home. So we are the guardians and caretakers of of our installation. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fantastic work. And as I look at some of your experience, whether that's around Target, doing operations, or doing uh, some of the roles you played in the Army, it sounds like you're, you're well prepared from some of your background in that particular area. Uh, I had the liberty and I think the, the luxury, I should say, to participate. A friend of mine was going through the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And so I spent four days there as a distinguished civilian guest, and I was just blown away by how the place ran. So uh, I can appreciate from a little bit of a firsthand perspective the types of roles and the types of things that are under your, your remit. And, you know, I'm sure you don't have two days that are ever the same, which is probably a topic for a whole nother podcast one day. Uh, but so obviously you've stuck with the army, both as, as a uh, civilian and then before that serving our country, you joined the army at age 17. What drove you to do that at that particular time? And, and as you think about how to answer that question, is there a particular moment during that part of your life that comes up for you? You know, a story perhaps where you knew this is exactly what you you needed at that time in your life or that you wanted to do and, and was your passion? Yeah. So, you know, thinking back on it, Dan, that was a um, that was a significant turning point in, in my life. I probably didn't realize it at the time. So when I decided to enlist in the National Guard. I was 17. It was 1998. Um, and my parents had to 
sign for me because I was I was not 18 yet. And my drive to go into the army and serve was uh, what I thought my life plan was going to be. I wanted to you know, jump in and join the army. I like keeping people safe. I like contributing to a greater good. I liked being involved with something of a higher purpose. And, you know, there's, there's nothing better than that to me than, than serving our, our great nation. Um, and, and doing that at the time, you know, the influence from my father, he was a uh, NCO in the army and served during the Vietnam war. And then for about six or seven years in the eighties, uh, he served in the national guard as well, military policeman, uh, same unit that I ended up serving in, uh, ironically. So that sense of community and purpose and, and, um, I wanted to get that experience and gain that experience and do my part and contribute. And then my master plan was originally going to be, uh, go in the army and, and run. My dad said, Nope, I want you to try ROTC uh, reserve officer training corps. So if you're going to go in the army, you're going to, you're going to be better than, than me. You're going to get your college degree. And then if you want to go active duty, you can go active duty from there. And I said, okay, deal. And that was the deal. I was enlisted. I did, uh, you know, four years in the national guard as a military policeman. And then I got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Youngstown state. And my plan was to do my three years on active duty, then join the FBI and be a special agent and kick down doors and, and, you know, catch terrorists for a living. You know, my wife and and family kind of helped me divert off that road. Um, but the, the timing of service. So when I enlisted, it was 1998. When I contracted with ROTC, I signed my paperwork September 10th, 2001. The next day, September 11th happened and changed the world. And, um, again, I was fortunate enough. and I didn't see it at the time. My national guard unit got called and they were on airport security and they were on, you know, uh, force protection duty at some, some various, uh, federal installations. And here I am, you know, back in, in Warren, Ohio, finishing up my, my, uh, you know, college degree, knowing that I had active duty ahead of me. And I had a Lieutenant Colonel who was the, uh, professor of military science there. Tell me, don't worry, your time's coming. Don't, don't rush. Finish what you finish, what you started because all my friends, all my, my, uh, you know, soldiers there with me were, were stepping up for a mission. And, you know, I felt a little guilty about that, but cooler heads and, and those, those people ahead of me knew what the right path looked like. And, and I put my trust in them and, and it turned out a okay. Um, I finished my, my, uh, four year degree and, you know, got my commission and then I served my time on active duty. So, you know, the decision I made at 17 years old, you know, was a, uh, you know, first step on a, uh, a life path that at the time has opened many doors. So listening to those people that influenced me, my dad, um, you know, that, that the Colonel there and, and, uh, you know, the friends I made in the guard, they, they all knew longer term, this was a, this was the right move, a better move. And, um, you know, I would get my time and, uh, you know, it turned out, it turned out very well in the long run. Yeah, I'm not sure we have many 17-year-olds listening to our podcast, but if you, if there are, and there are some of you out there, take advice from Will. I mean, you can't ask for a better outcome as a 17-year-old. Uh, you mentioned your dad as a, as and your mom as influencers when we talked about the the opening uh, and sort of the direction to go finish college. Well, you've obviously done that and then some, having uh, finished your bachelor's degree, went on to uh, Webster for your MBA and then your doctoral degree at Drexel. Um, that Drexel work focused on on leadership and organizational behavior. Who have been some of the more impactful leaders in your life? Perhaps you know those who were in uniform and out of uniform, and and what have they taught you specifically about about leadership? Is there something as you think about your career and transitioning to be this this uh, teacher or this executive coach? Where have you found yourself the student of someone else's tutelage, and and what kind of lessons have you learned that maybe you can pay forward? Yeah, so uh, you know the. Battalion commander, uh, when I was deployed, Colonel Higginbotham is his name. And when we deployed, we our units came from uh, we were a hodgepodge mix. So I I met him on Fob Spiker in Iraq. Hey, by the way, I'm Lieutenant Ramey. I am one of your junior military officers here. You're my senior raider. Nice to meet you. We're going to be spending the next year together. <clears throat> what Colonel Higginbotham taught me about leadership there, he was he was one of the first first people I met that took the time to connect me, uh, connect with me, to get to know me, 
and to ask me what my career aspirations were. What do you want to be? Where do you see yourself in three to five years? It wasn't just, you know, top down hierarchy um, of, of leadership style. He took the time to care and connect. And if my path wasn't going to be, you know, to do 20 years in the military, that was okay. He still wanted to invest in and help me, help me be successful. So, it, you know, that lesson that I learned there was here we are in, in a combat operation on a, you know, on an operating base and you've got a million different things going on. And we were part of a logistics support battalion that was, you know, was, was helping the army move. Um, and he's still taking the time to have those monthly counselings with me about professional development. How are you doing the check-ins? And so that was one thing that I, I have taken away with me, you know, and, and still, still hold is that importance of connecting with people go to check on them go see them where they're at ask ask them not just how they're doing how's their day and listen to their answer and respond to their answer and 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 have that sense of you're bringing value to our team i may be the leader but i'm learning from you i care about you I'm, i'm here to take care of you you know that's my responsibility is people um and if you take care of people the mission will accomplish uh, itself. The mission will get accomplished. Um, so he, he was one. And then I had a, um, the, the distribution center manager at, at target where I worked in uh, Colorado. And, and ironically enough, he was a retired, you know, uh, a senior, uh, army officer, you know, he, the advice he gave me was, you know, well, you have, you can have all the energy, uh, you know, your potential is like stored energy. You can have all of it you want, but unless you have that catalyst to turn it into kinetic energy and move it forward, it doesn't mean anything. You know, so he was giving me a little kick in the pants at the time for find out what you want to do and find out what you want to be. But he did it in such a way of saying, you've got all this potential here, put it in motion, right? So when I, when I help uh, people at work or if I'm talking and helping, helping somebody through something, you know, I take that with me as well. What is it that you want to do? You're, you're storing energy up. For what purpose? For what intent? Let's let's direct that energy into something and help you achieve and overcome your goals and 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 challenges that you might be facing. Yeah, so so great story as well. I mean, you talk about purpose and you talk about intent. You know, what drove you to to sort of the business world? What drove you to the MBA, and then what ultimately drove you to pursue a doctoral degree? I mean, those are not easy things. Those are not things that are you know kind of lighthearted decisions, and those are things that involve much like I would imagine serving our country sacrifices on behalf of the rest of your family uh, in terms of time away and in terms of uh, commitments. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about why you know why business after serving in the various capacities you did? in the military, your undergraduate degree in, in criminal justice. You know, I answer, I answer this question a lot on my own because of my background, but this is not the show about me. This is the show about you. So I'm curious, how do you go from criminal justice and military service all the way to a doctoral degree about uh, in business? Yeah. So, you know, I think one thing, Dan, that, that uh, you know, innate desire for continuous learning. I always want to learn and grow. And what I've seen in my career path is I've used education to, to help me career pivot. So coming out of out of uh, the army and uh, coming off and going back in, and, and, you know, as a uh, full time army reservist for a few years, I, I knew that I wanted to have a path to something, and I didn't know what it was. So you know, business seems like a good thing. Um, I knew I wanted to lead people, and I didn't really have a strong desire for what sort of industry to get into because I didn't see my path going this way. Like I said earlier, I, you know, I wanted to be a uh, an FBI agent, you know, was my career path. I met my family and we had kids and I had other responsibilities. And I, I looked at that. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to find something where I can have some job satisfaction and go at it. But I didn't think I had the enough skill or, or uh, experience on a resume. So I went for my MBA and that taught me really um, not just leadership, but about business, corporate finance and economics and how businesses are run and organizational structure and operations, man, all those, all those things that I really didn't, uh, didn't think I knew, but I wanted it to, you know, to build in. And that helped open some doors for me uh, with, you know, I have experience leading teams and being a military officer. Now I have some education and background in, uh, in business. So, you know, from there I worked at Target Corporation and I applied those, uh, those skills uh, and, you know, as I was getting getting through my education, and that wasn't really the best fit. I wanted something more. I wanted to serve, so I came back into the army. I spent time in the army reserves, and that's when I, you know, 
it took me, I actually started my master's degree in 2004 uh, from Webster before I deployed. And if you don't know anything about Webster, they have satellite campuses on def- different military installations. So I started it in 2004. Uh, I finished it in 2009. So I was, I was really, um, you know, working through uh, on nights and, you know, just been very thankful and fortunate to have my family surround me and being supportive of my wife and kids, you know, are, are behind me a hundred percent. So, you know, knowing I had that, I worked the MBA, I got that and I didn't know why I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I, I wanted to have a higher purpose. So I went back in the army for a few years. I worked at Northcom and I was doing instructional designer training and I finished my, my degree there. And then I worked, um, for, uh, space and missile defense command. And I was doing you know, satellite communication stuff, which was cool, but it wasn't a long-term, you know, there was, there wasn't longevity there. So my wife and I decided what's, what's important to us. And I tell people that uh, ask me for career advice, you know, you can't just look at job specific. You have to look at things holistically. You're a person, you're a human, you bring this into work. There's no switch that you can, that you can hit. Is it family time? Is it, is it, um, you know, mobility? Are you tied to an area? You know, look, go through this checklist of questions and what means most. So we were mobile. We wanted to get a little closer to family. We went up to, uh, wound up at Toby Hanna army depot. That's what brought me out here. Um, so I was very, you know, I, I think, you know, looking back on it, I was successful there. I was able to progress different, different uh, leadership positions and, I found myself at a crossroads again where my master's degree uh, actually got me one of the jobs I was there. So, hey, you know, you know, a couple thousand dollars invested and it's finally paying off. I had a boss tell me, we picked you not because of your experience, but your balance of experience with education. We wanted to have this. So I really had a desire to learn more. I've been a student of leadership my entire career. I wanted to get to the point of, okay, what else is there to learn and do? And, you know, I did research for about a year and, and until I came across the program at Drexel with their doctorate in business administration degree. And what attracted me to that program was the ability to hone it in on uh, your dissertation, organizational behavior, leadership. I look back on my career. I looked at the types of leaders that have inspired me and have influenced me. I looked at the types of leaders that I didn't work well with and didn't get along with and wanted to understand more. So through that process, uh, I honed my dissertation in on abusive supervision, toxic type leadership, behaviors. And is there anything about a a junior leader or a mid-level manager that can absorb that and stop that trickle-down flow? And I did that because I really enjoy helping people. I enjoy helping leaders grow. I enjoy helping people, you know, become the leaders and, and, uh, you know, achieve that success that they want to achieve. And I've seen positive and I've seen negative. So that doctorate degree, what that gave me was an understanding of I don't have all the answers. I know how to ask better questions and, and I, I can help try to research that. Right. So, so I can use that knowledge and use that, that uh, access to, you know, what are what's happening in research, bring it back into the workplace, bring it back into, uh, you know, coaching and, and helping hone and craft leadership development programs with what's the newest in research with leadership dynamics and interactions. And how do we apply that here to, to, help people be successful together and build the best leaders uh, possible. Great answer, Will. And again, we could talk for hours. We probably should because my background is somewhat related, but a little bit different. Uh, my background was in cognitive psychology and philosophy, got my master's in information systems, and then my MPhil in organizational dynamics, all about teams and groups. I'm sure between the two of us, we could write yet another book. And I know that authoring is in uh, is in one of your aspirational uh, statements. So keep that in mind. But you talk, about, tox- you talk about toxic leaders. So I, I've been fortunate or unfortunate uh, to sort of serve or be led by some people that I would be, I would consider toxic as well. And it sort of gave Rose to a phrase that I'm going to steal from a friend of mine, which is that everybody needs a good, bad example. And so I think about that and I think there are some leaders in my life who I remember very distinctly thinking, if I ever get a chance to lead at some point in my career, I want to do exactly the opposite of what this person is doing. I never want to treat people that way or I never want to say things that way. I'm curious, is there sort of a, a quick a quick version of your dissertation that talks about, you know, 
what are some of those elements of those toxic leaders? And, and can the people that serve maybe in middle management really absorb much from those who are working on the ground. And the reason I ask that, Will, is I, I think that's that's a universal problem. I think it's always existed. I think as long as people are people and they're going to be fallible and they're going to be suspect to uh, influence challenges or influencing people the wrong ways, we're always going to deal with that. But I think the, the sort of isolation that we've all been through in the world in the last 14, 16 months with COVID has in some ways made that worse. So I'm curious if, if there are people listening right now that are in that middle management area, is there something that you believe they could be doing if they happen to be in that scenario where they are sort of buffering, for lack of a better word, their staffs between a toxic leader and themselves? Sure. So, so when I talk toxic leadership, uh, you know, just a quick kind of synopsis there uh, has a few components. And, you know, one thing is uh, intention and frequency, right? So if you happen to be listening out here and you hear some of these behaviors I'm going to describe, you know, take a step back and self-assess and reflect, do, geez, do I do this and how often and, and, and at what intensity level? But when we look at toxic leadership, toxic leadership, Authoritarian leadership style, so that overbearing, micromanaging. I have to have control of every decision, big or small. I don't let my team, you know, have any of the the power in that decision making. Um, abusive uh, supervision was a component of that, and it's things like belittling uh, or putting your team down in public, or ridiculing or threatening their jobs or, or things of that nature on a sustained basis. Uh, you also have a component of self-promotion. So that person who is using their team and only focused on what's next and how do I get there and how do I leapfrog there versus really being internally focused on, geez, you know, how do I make the most and grow this group ar around me and, and really get them to perform? Uh, and then you have those, um, you know, so those, those are some of the, the elements of that, uh, you know, toxic leadership, how you treat people, how, how you know, you misuse or abuse your power and, and that self-promoting piece. Um, and then when you look at, you know, some research I came across ways of, of starting to buffer that out, you know, is, is really uh, newer with, with what's being, uh, you know, published and there's a lot more to go on. But you know, some things that I came across that, that seem to work is first understand that power dynamic that you have. So as a junior leader in an organization, you know, know that that leader above you, they rely on you. They may not, they may not let that out. Uh, or, or show that, but know that you have resources, you have a team, you have performance and results that you're responsible for. And that leader above you, that that power symmetry, you need to be able to kind of stand up and, and understand how that dynamic truly does work if you take yourself out of it for a second and understand that. And then you can start um, leveraging that power dynamic a little bit more by building coalitions with your peer groups around you to the left and right who may be working for the same leader and then increasing your uh, your value. So you gain a new skill. Um, you you uh, understand and become a subject matter expert in something that your team's responsible for. And then while you're building that coalition, you start getting complementary skills and you start building that peer group around you. And that leader above you then starts to lose that perceived, you know, one directional or, or asymmetrical type power. You know, the other thing you can do, uh, I dove into and saw was really the proactive behavior. And when you view, change your mindset and approach things from instead of that leader above me who's toxic being threatening, okay, how can how can I turn this into a challenge to be overcome? And that learning goal orientation, that goal-oriented mindset, how do I then learn to cope with or get ahead of or anticipate uh, reactions and actions? And how do I shape how do I shape myself and my environment around me? How do I get my peers to be on uh, a good support network for me? And we move past venting to you know, a quick vent plus gain perspective and we come together, right? Um, so that proactive getting ahead of the problem and staying ahead of that stressor. And in this case, that stressor being that toxic leader, you know, is, is another way. And then one thing I came through too, and this goes back to how toxic is that leader and how open are they to change? Maybe they don't know the impact they have. And some leaders truly just don't realize the impact they have on people. So um, when you look at direct upward communication, off stage, and this one, this one's a little bit of a trade-off, right? Because you have to know that person or be willing to take that risk. You come off stage and you address that. Hey, did you know that you know you continue to elevate and raise your voice, and you're turning people off when you're doing this in the middle of a meeting? Or did you know that when we're walking down the hall together and you're bad mouthing one of your team members, we just passed by three other of those team members who overheard that conversation? They may not even realize that they're doing it, right? So if they're open to change and it's not as frequent, that direct upward communication 
where that direct left and right communication you have influence on a peer may start to bring awareness to those toxic behaviors and, and dissipate. Yeah, great advice. And I mean, I have to wonder, though, is that easier to do in the commercial world than it is in the military world? Or did you find that just as applicable as you've developed those relationships over time? Yeah, so I think it's it's it might be easier to do in the commercial world um, when you talk about subordinate up. And I had an experience with my very first boss uh, from Target, um, uh, Bill Hancock, and Bill's Bill's moved on to, to to successful things. But it was odd for me. I worked for Bill, and we were about the same age. Bill might have been two years older than me, and he pulls me in for my first you know one on one developmental conversation, and he asked me for feedback. I said, that, <laughs> that's not how this works. Yeah, hey, what do you mean? Uh, you, you, you tell me what I need to fix. I go out and perform. And then I show you my results. And then we go from there, right? And then when, I, when I'm your top performer or I have your top performing team, you then you just me. direct your conversation elsewhere, right? And right. I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. So he was a lot more open. And that culture of being invested in, geez, I need your feedback just as much as you need mine because if I'm a leader without followers, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a leader that leads from a toxic a destructive behavior concept, then I'm not leading. I'm just using my position and authority and I'm getting compliance. Right. But when you talk about leading and connecting and influencing, you know, hopefully you want to be on the constructive side of that. So I, I think, you know, I also had, you know, thinking about it though, Dan, I also had an experience with my company commander when we were deployed to Iraq. Um, he put me in charge of organizing and leading the convoy from Kuwait up to our, our operating base. And he and I had you know, very good one-on-one -on -one conversations. Again, when you have these conversations and you're giving that upward feedback, it's never of the point of showing somebody up or embarrassing them. It's about making the team better and making the team stronger. So when you have that relationship of trust, uh, you know, senior to subordinate, and in this case, company commander to, to uh, you know, executive officer, we talked about, Will, what do you think the best tactics are? What do you think we should do? How should we organize our chocks? Who, should you, who do you think we should have on it? He was seeking input from me. And if I thought something was, was off, I felt comfortable enough telling him, no, sir, I don't think we should do this. And here's why. Right. But that was built through that, those experiential relationships. And that was built through that trust. So in a sense, the army, I think the military has a sense of, you know, you form those teams and you form those bonds through, through training and experience. And in the commercial industry, what I've seen is, you know, you're forming those bonds, but you don't get time to practice before you're deployed, you know, every day is I need results and I'm operating. So you have to find those ways to connect and build that trust. And I, I think it is a little bit easier because it's more expected um, in, in private industry. Although I do, I do believe the, the military is getting there. They're instituting things with talent management that include 360 assessments and, and all of that. But um, I think the expectation is there is probably a bit more of a mature model um, you know, when you're, you're working in, uh, in the commercial world. Yeah. Great stuff. I mean, I, I think about this topic a lot and I wonder if the, uh, the relevant stress factors are as present or can ever be present in the commercial world that they are in, in the military environment. And I, I do believe that those stress factors help harden those relationships in a positive way. When those men and women are working side by side and they're undergoing extreme situations of duress or they're just living in an environment where that's more imminently likely to happen than, let's say, working at a Target. Um, and I love Target. If anybody from Target's listening, I shop there regularly. Um, but, you know, I wonder if it's really the conditions, too, that help foster that type of almost brutal honesty or or you know, unfiltered un, uh, candor because the stakes are so much higher. Uh, and again, we could probably talk for hours on that particular topic, but it's it's good to hear that both the commercial and the sort of military uh, perspectives on that. Um, so, so, Will, you know, you talk about this entrepreneurial journey. Uh, who do you want to work with? Do you want to work with more of the commercial leaders? Do you want to work with military leaders? Can you talk a little bit about what sort of the, what does success look like for you as you embark on this next chapter of being a leadership coach, uh, of being a speaker and, and per, you know, perhaps being an author? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. You know, I, I want to work with those uh, emerging or newly hired leaders or that leader that just took on a, a new role in their organization, because I think, um, you know, initially their first hundred days or so in that position are critical days. And that's where the importance of understanding your purpose, connecting with your team, and those those relationships are formed early on. Uh, so you get that that solid bedrock of of, of uh, that foundation underneath of you. I want to want to talk about that. So you know you may be new to leadership, 
And, you know, we, we've read and seen, you know, companies, you promote the highest potential or you recruit new leaders in. Okay, you're, you're promoted or you're hired on, on aptitude and potential to learn and, and understand this process, you know, but let's get you in and roll up your sleeves and get you to connect it to those people that are actually executing the work that you're, you're responsible for and in charge of, you know? So I think that, uh, you know, based on how many times I've transitioned and changed jobs and worked in different industries, I think I have some, some value to add with, give me, give me those new leaders and let's help that. Right. So onboarding is a difficult process. You're acclimating somebody to your company, you're acclimating them to your culture, but let's dive in and get them acclimated to, how do you connect with your team? How do you understand and learn from them? And how do you get them on board with starting to trust you and and uh, do that? So new leaders. And then, like I said, newly hired or newly promoted leaders that you have a new team and, and what got you to where you're at may not be what what is successful for you in the position that you're currently in. So that transition time is always difficult. And I've seen it and I've come to realize it lately is that it's, it's not just difficult for the leader. It's difficult for that team. That team has, oh man, we were, we were familiar with, you know, your predecessor, good, bad, or indifferent. It was, it was familiarity. It was predictability. It was consistency in their day. And now they don't know what to expect from this new person coming in. Right. So let's, let's help you get on that and build those good habits and build those, build those connections with those teams, you know, through, through, you know, coaching and, and, you know, companies may not have enough time to dedicate that, that level of intensity, you know, they're going to do a new check-in. Think about new jobs that you've taken. Sometimes it's it's here's your book, and your predecessor is has been gone for three months, and I've been double hatting. I, I let's let's move out, right? So, um, you know, having somebody there to help help you uh, immerse yourself, emerge, and 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 move through those days is uh, is what I'd like to do with leadership development. And that's that's you know commercial team or transitioning junior military officers. You know, to me, it's it's uh, doesn't matter as long as I'm helping people. And then, you know, the speaking thing, you know, Dan, is something that I really think um, I would enjoy doing. It's a little bit nerve wracking at the time to get up there in front of a stage. But I found some of my best moments is when I was in the Army or, and I was able to teach and uh, interact. Right. So not just not just give give knowledge, but hold those conversations on you know Army values. And what does that mean? And what does ethical leadership look like? Right. So you know, taking the knowledge and things that I've acquired through my experience and you know recently my education and helping other companies uh, and other organizations really understand what these fundamentals are, recognize them and leave that organization better than, you know, when I walked in or, or, or you know, you know, whatever that may be. So you know, helping people achieve their aha moments and helping people be successful is really what I'd like to try to do with, uh, you know, this entrepreneurial journey I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to start. It's a great, great mission, Will. And if, if uh, your future is any, if your past is any indication of the types of challenges you've taken on, I, I think the, the future is very bright for you. You're, what you talk about reminds me very much of, of what psychologist Bruce Tuckman talked about in 1965 when he talked about the different uh, phases of team development. And everyone's familiar with the first four, but not necessarily the fifth one. And when I talk about Tuckman, I'm talking about forming, storming, norming, and performing of group development. But there is a fifth stage in Tuckman's model, which is adjourning, which is when teams fall apart and when they when they sort of uh, they're no longer needed, whether they're teams at work or teams in uh, maybe personal lives or teams at your your church or synagogue or place of worship. And I think it's in those times where people probably need the most amount of help. I'm, I'm mindful of well as well of another resource. Uh, if it's of interest to you, I'll gladly drop you a line afterwards. But again, for the listeners, a book by, by William Bridges called Managing Transitions. And it's all about how you move out of sort of facet A and enter facet B, whether that's a work project or a life phase. And Bridges talks about how, how if part A never ends completely, that you're sort of in this, what he calls chasm of despair or chasm of transition. And people tend to be lost in that area. They're still holding on to the old. They can't quite embrace the new. I think that's a prime opportunity to help people learn from your experience and coach those leaders and even coach the subordinates that are left behind because those people have just as much of a challenge as a new leader who's stepping in to take that team on. So that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Dan. I I appreciate that. Share that with me. I will will do. So I, I'm thinking uh, as well as we as we sort of round out here. I'm thinking 2021 is a tough time to start an entrepreneurial journey, right? If I think about the world pre 2019, I think about the world we all lived in in, in uh, 2020 and early 2021. I'm curious, you know, what do you think the future of work holds? For, for all of us, and particularly, how do you view the role of a coach in an environment which might be part virtual, 
right? And for those of you who don't know, who are listening, we do these web, webcam uh, to webcam podcasts virtually, right? We're not sitting at the same table here. But how does that dynamic change the way you approach coaching, both for you as a coach, as well as for those skills that you think those leaders need to develop uh, if they're going to lead and build teams in the future of work, whatever that looks like? Yeah. So, you know, just thinking back on, on my experiences, having worked with different coaches and, and been through that, it's always been immersive. They've been they've been there on the ground and they, you know, they're spending their classroom time with you in a leadership development training and then they're spending their hour or so with you walking around and, and, and seeing things through your eyes. And I think that, um, you know, our future of work is 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 undefined yet, but we're definitely going through a very quick evolution of it. Um, so whether that be hybrid or remote learning or, or remote working and you know, some, some mix there, I think what, what rings true through that is the power of that coach to connect, right? So that coach is, is, is not a therapist. That coach is not a consultant. That coach is there to bring out and ask you those questions, those thought provoking questions for you to get some sort of uh, self um, realization and self awareness, and then helps you make that plan for the future. So, you know, as we embrace this virtual world, you know, cameras on, eyes on, and and get it as close to uh, real connection as, as possible, right? To to connect with people, find those ways to have those human moments. Uh, one thing I do with my team uh, for our weekly home team meeting, you know, we take time to to ask a, a silly question or off the wall question, right? Because we have te- people that are calling in, that are teleworking, that are here. So we all get on the, uh, you know, the venue, we have our uh, cameras are on and we ask those questions like, you know, uh, what are you looking forward to most about spring or, or what's, you know, what's your favorite scent or, you know, those random things that come up naturally when you're doing your work day and you're, you're needing to break that monotony, you have those moments there, right? So I think coaching in that world is we need to find a way to, you know, be able to connect with our, our, uh, you know, our, our coachee and, understand their needs and see the world through their eyes. And that makes it a little bit more difficult if you can't travel and you can't go there. But I think the accessibility has gone up, right? So before you might've just exchanged emails or, Hey, I'll see you next month or out there. But when we look at, at this virtual world, if you're willing to, as a coach, you know, how, how easy is it for us to jump on a, uh, you know, a call here today, we're seeing each other, we're reading body language, we're, we're, we're going back and forth and it's a comfortable conversation. You know, so that speed with which that you can get that help and ask those questions and connect, I think, is something that, you know, I I would definitely want to embrace in this virtual world. And the same thing with with public speaking and and those venues, right, is, you know, how do you make this this as interactive as possible? You know, optimally, you'd want to be in the room and and, and feed off that energy. You know, but adapt yourself to being able to talk through a screen and be able to reach out and connect to somebody um, you know, through, through those, uh, different means that are out there. And, and that's something I think that, you know, we're moving forward is definitely in the realm of possible for, for, uh, coaches and, and leadership development. And, and, you know, you're meeting people in their space too. You're in your house, you're comfortable. There's not a desk between us or anything like that. So, you know, you, you make it what it is. Great, great answer. Very thought provoking. I would, I would uh, encourage you. And again, the listeners take a look at humorthatworks.com. Uh, I met a guy named Drew Tarvin who talks about how to use humor at work. And when you talked about those silly opening questions, uh, Drew's done a number of different things around stand-up and actually now works in the business community, helping people kind of bring some of that lightheartedness to work. Uh, some of his stuff has been uh, has been uh, very helpful for me, even as I put together the format of the podcast. So, uh, Will, really enjoyed the conversation. We've been at it for uh, about 45, 50 minutes at this point. Any, any closing comments or thoughts about, uh, you know, kind of where you think the conversation needs to go next? Uh, if we do this podcast in another year, if we do another take on it, you know, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to doing or having accomplished in the next 365 days? Yes. So Dan, I think, I think you're doing great work here. And, you know, the fact that I was uh, able to come on the show and, 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 uh, you know, hopefully this reaches somebody's ear out there who's listening. That's, that's stuck in, in, in the mire right now and looking to transition and gives them a little bit of glimmer of, you know, maybe how to do that or, Hey, this worked for me. And, and, and it gives them that try. So, you know, I, I think the, uh, the conversation, you know, keep going down that path, right? Because eventually you're going to, you're going to hit on something. And when you have that, that challenge oriented mindset, that, that growth mindset, you're always willing to come back to the table and try something new, you know, learn, perform, assess and repeat, you know, that's a constant cycle out there. Um, you know, so that's, I, I think is something that, uh, hopefully as, as this spreads and grows, 
uh, can take away. You know, a year from now, if we were to come back and have the conversation again, you know, hopefully we're talking about how did I springboard from you know, where I'm at today to setting up a successful, uh, you know, coaching, uh, leadership development business. And here's my experience from speaking in that uh, first book and then our second book together that we could collaborate on, whatever that may look like, right? That's what I'm hoping, you know, uh, to be able to have is, Here's I'm taking my experience, I'm taking my education, and I'm packaging it up in something to get out to people that I can help. And if if um, you know, I'm embracing these these conversations because it's helpful to somebody, and I may not, you know, feel like, oh, geez, who am I? That doesn't matter. I am I'm me. That's my story. And if my story helps somebody, awesome. Icing on the cake. And that's exactly what we're what we're all about. So I appreciate that. Well, you know, as I mentioned in the opener, if this can if this can help one person, that's what it's that's what it is. And I believe we all do have a story. It's been great listening to yours. I, I encourage people to think about some of the themes that have come up today about uh, being transparent, about embracing the challenge and wanting to learn, about being able to always overcome challenges. And really, I think at the end of the day, it's about being helpful, right? It's about meeting people on a human to human level, whether you're a garrison manager or you're a customer success manager, or you're somebody who still works at that target that maybe uh, you did your shopping in several years ago or that you worked in yourself, right? We're all here for a purpose in this life. We've got to figure that out. But we also just need to be kind to one another because we're all facing different challenges. And I think if we stop and think about how we can help one another, I think we'll find that it's pretty easy to do if we're willing to ask those questions and listen uh, with an open and honest ear. So again, really appreciate your time today, Will. Thanks for coming on. And um, looking forward to to watching you succeed and, and keeping in touch with you along the way. Thanks, Dan. I had fun. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, show three in the books. Another great episode today. Hope you enjoyed it. Will talked about a number of different things, from toxic leadership to the need for transparency, being the person who's always willing to learn. And I really enjoyed the viewpoint of education as a way to enable a career pivot. I think those are all great things to take away. We talked about a couple things, so I wanted to leave just a few references for anyone who was interested. Uh, Will mentioned many times about the role of purpose and finding one's purpose. I can't think of a better recommendation than the book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, Frankel's work has been sort of seminal for me, uh, and it's not an easy read. You know, Frankel talks about his life in a Nazi death camp and many lessons for spiritual survival. And I think that this is this is uh, advice that all of us can use at different points in our life. Uh, I have owned two copies of this book, and I've actually read it three times. And uh, I can't recommend it highly enough if you're looking for some information or a good source of uh, reading on the subject of purpose. We also talked quite a bit with Will about influence and how he's been able to both influence up as well as uh, influence those that ha- he has been responsible for. Uh, the book Influence Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini to me is one of probably the most seminal books that I've come across on influence. And it talks about, you know, really at the end of the day, why people say yes and how do we actually get uh, those things in an ethical way to become part of how we operate, how we talk, and how we lead. Uh, Cialdini talks about six specific principles and how you can use them as a tool uh, in the sort of leadership toolkit. And again, Cialdini's book is one that I would recommend. And then finally, we talked about transitions. I think we all go through a number of transitions, both in our personal and professional lives. And the book by William Bridges and Susan Bridges called Managing Transitions, Making the Most of Change is really, I think, targeted at organizational change. But I've also found it to be extremely helpful in the personal uh, life as well. I'd recommend both of those books or all three of those books, actually, for anyone interested in work on purpose, on influence and on transitions. Uh, Again, great conversation today with Will. I hope you enjoyed it and see you soon on the podcast. Thanks.